Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is wonderful to see you again this morning. Another Sunday where we get to spend some time in the Word together and spend some time in fellowship as well. I really pray and really trust that you guys are staying connected as we heard last week from Pastor Fritz, the importance of being connected not only to our Saviour, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, but also as his body, being connected to one another, to be able to bless, to be able to encourage, to be able to support, as well as to hold each other accountable as well. So I really encourage that even with this time, with the fears of things locking down again, that you make a point of reaching out and sharing with each other just what God is teaching you to bless one another. As I shared a couple of weeks ago when we looked at our shared calling, it's not just upon me, it's upon us as the body of Christ to play a part into the building, the edifying and the encouraging each other of saints and of each other as a saints, should I say, my apologies. But I pray you're all keeping well and I pray that you continue to press forward even in these uncertain times. Now, it's kind of hard to segue into what I want to share, but the reality is rhetorical questions. That's a brilliant segue. Rhetorical questions. They are wonderful tools. They're wonderful tools. You, you can use them sarcastically, uh, which my family uses a lot on me, or they can be used seriously. But either way, they are very effective tools to direct the listener and to direct, or the reader, whatever the case may be, to direct them to the most obvious of answers. And a couple of rhetorical questions I want us to look at this morning that would be an encouragement to us as the body of Christ, as we seek to be connected with each other and as we seek to stay connected with our Saviour, as well as fulfilling our shared calling as the body of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at one verse today. Well, we'll look at a number. You know what I'm like. Uh, we're going to look at a number of verses today. And so I pray you've got a pen and a paper because there's a lot of information we're going to go through. But I pray that will be encouraging and uplifting to each of us as we look to continue to grow and deepen our relationship with the Lord. So I'm going to open with a word of prayer. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. And our sister Cass will read the word for us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you so much for your faithfulness. Even when things may seem uncertain to us, we know that your hand is still in complete control. And I pray that you will help us now to see your sovereignty, to see your power at work, to know, Lord, that you are working your purposes within each of our lives, regardless of the context we find ourselves in. So we commit ourselves to you now. Teach us and minister to us now from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Cass, over to you. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. 
You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who were led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Thank you very much for that, Cass. It's wonderful to have you do this. And once again, congratulations for those who don't know. I'll, I'll let you figure that one out. I'll let you figure that one out a little bit later. So just to explain, Paul hasn't been to this church in Rome. He writes this letter as a means to introduce himself, to explain that he actually does want to eventually get there. But he, even though he wasn't able to be there in person, he writes this letter to, to bless them, to encourage them, uh, but also to explain a detailed explanation of the gospel, of the position one has in Christ, of the role of Israel within God's plan and purposes, even the role of the church as the body of Christ and of the sanctified life. We as followers of Jesus are to live or have been called to live. And if you read in Romans chapter 1 verse 11, you read about how Paul has desired to visit and to impart a spiritual gift into them. Now in Romans chapter 8, it can be easily considered the backbone of this beautifully written letter because it details so clearly and so concisely the truths that, that liberate, that secure, that assure, and that comfort us as a people of God's, uh, comfort us within our place of a privileged position as God's children. And in this case, the rhetorical questions Paul uses is to get the readers to see and arrive at the most obvious of responses in connection with the truths he has just laid out within this chapter. Or it could be actually said he has laid out within the first seven chapters up to this point. This is why today's text I want to look at is just a couple of these rhetorical questions for the purpose of us as well as what Paul was trying to get across here to the Romans, to reach the same obvious conclusion with the presentation of these two rhetorical questions. And that's found in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. They are, they are two rhetorical questions of, of several, but I want to focus on these two. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, we read this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What shall we say? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who shall be or who can be against us? I've called today's sermon just what shall we say then? 
What shall we say? First point, what shall we say then to these things? What is our response? What is the answer we arrive at to the truths that Paul labels as these things? What shall we say to the liberation that we have received in Christ? I, read, I say liberation because when you read in verses 1 and 2, you read this, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is not wishful thinking. This is not a hopeful longing. This is a statement of fact. See, I borrowed this illustration from John Bevere a number of years ago, but he, he likens the law of gravity, that which keeps us earthbound, that which limits us to the law of sin and death, that which keeps us, keeps us captive, that which also keeps us spiritually earthbound. It keeps us captive to our own lusts and our own desires. And so he likens the law of sin and death to the law of gravity. And then he compares the law of the spirit of life to the law of aerodynamics. The law of NI aerodynamics, which enables one with the capacity to overcome the law of gravity. The law of aerodynamics, which enables uh, one of those Airbuses. I had a look online. A 300 and, sorry, a 589 ton piece of metal that can carry people to overcome the law of gravity and fly through the friendly skies. It's, he likens the law of aerodynamics to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. In other words, in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life enables a freedom and a liberation over the law of sin and death, over the captivity of sin, over the captivity of death that keeps us earthbound and causes those who have trusted in Jesus Christ to be freed from the kingdom of this world and then enables us to be seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says that because Christ has conquered death. Christ has paid the penalty for our sin and by the cross removed the condemnation that was ours already through our unbelief. If you read in John chapter 3, 18, we read how those who believe not are condemned already. And so trusting in the finished work of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, there is freedom, there is liberation from the law of sin and death, and there is a freedom from the condemnation that we were experiencing because of that sin and because of that death we were condemned to. And so Paul is saying, what then shall we say to that? How do we respond to that? Well, then we respond like the woman of John chapter 8, who was caught in the act of adultery, that heard the sweetest words from the Lord Jesus when he asks, where are those that condemn you? And she says, they've gone. And her, her, his reply to her was, neither do I condemn you. And because of that freedom from condemnation, we can then, like the woman, follow the rest of Jesus' instruction, where he says, go now and sin no more. John chapter 8, verse 11. 
and with such an encouragement from the Lord, then we can stand firm and do not be subject to the yoke of slavery again. Galatians 5.1 and, and in that liberty, in that freedom, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as the servants of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. And the most basic of terms, the response to such an expression of love that frees me from condemnation and sets me free from sin's clutches and punishment is that of thankfulness expressed in how I live. What shall we say then? Well, what is said is that of thankfulness expressed not only in word, but in how I live. So what shall we say then? What shall we say then to the liberation that has been granted to us? What shall we say then to the security that has been given to us who have received the greatest of blessings that make us as sinners God's children, 1 John 3, 1, behold what manner of love has been bestowed upon us that we might be called the sons of God or the sons and daughters of God. How do we respond to the fact that we have received the spirit of the adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, in chapter 8, verse 15 of Romans? How do we respond to the truth that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God? Chapter 8, verse 16 of Romans. We are secure in Christ because our salvation is never dependent upon my merit or the capacity that I have to earn God's favor because I have no capacity to earn God's favor. And that act of saving grace when God makes me his child through faith in him, I become, yes, his child, and as children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also be glorified with them. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, last week with Pastor Fritz, you got a little bit of an insight to my childhood. Uh, Pastor Fritz made mention of me being a sookie. Yeah, yeah, I was. My sister actually asked, well, you should interview me, Joe, and I'll tell you all about you. I thought, no, nah, no, nah, we'll, just, we'll just keep it at that. But yeah, I was, I was a bit of a sook. You can talk to me later about this. But I have... As my brother, with my brother, with my sister, actually with all my brothers, so with you know, the likes of Frank and, and Rod and, and, and Tim and, and, and Pastor Fritz and my sister Charlene. There's also like Nathan, who's, who's like a brother and my brother-in-law. So you have all of these family members. I can and I have the confidence to go in any of their homes. And pretty much all of their homes, I don't knock. I can walk in, I can sit down and relax because as family, there is freedom for me to be there. So, too, as the family of God, as being born again by the Spirit in Christ, we have the freedom to be in the company of God's people, for we are the partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 speaks to that. We are part of God's family and have the privilege then to call him Father, as we read in Romans 8, 16, and with the joy of him as our heavenly father working in us as well. That security of, of us being within his hand that nobody can pluck us out of because it is the hand of God we find ourselves in in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, about God involved with us. So, so what then shall we say to that? 
What do we say to that security, the assurance of God's working, the confidence that he will bring about his plan, even though we may not see it, but with him as our heavenly father, dwelling in his presence, the promise of, of Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 becomes a reality. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We are the receivers of refuge. We are the receivers of protection. We are the receivers of victory for all the answers in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And that gratitude for that security, that gratitude for the security that is given to us as the people of God, as the children of God, as the family of God, is expressed in what I stand for. And who I stand for, because I have the freedom now to do so. Taken from God's kingdom and placed within his own and secure in that family. So we've got what shall we say then? What shall we say then to the liberty and the liberation that we've received in Christ? That is demonstrated and expressed in, in how we live. What do we say then to the security that has been granted to us as God's children? That is expressed in who I stand for as his child. And as you continue to read, what shall we say then to the assurance that we receive in the midst of tribulation? And this is a hard one because when we go through difficulty, when we go through hard time, and sometimes we actually wonder what is going on and whether God is, as we looked at a number of weeks ago, whether God really is present. We can doubt. We can doubt. And we find it easy to do so, the actual involvement that God has with us. But we have an assurance that he is there, that in those hardships, in those trials, and in those tribulations, I remember... With my daughter, and I've shared this with a number of you guys, with my daughter, there was so much that was going on with my daughter that I did not know, and I did not know how to handle it, and I didn't know what the right answer was. I didn't know how to respond in the right way. Do I do this? If we go down this track, does it make it better or make it worse for my daughter? If I go down this track, or if I don't go down this track, will I make it better or will I make it worse for my daughter? And all of those times that were taking place, and all I could do was sit there and pray in the, in the midst of that tribulation, Lord, help me. Lord, help us. Help my wife and I. Help us as a family to trust you. Please step in. Please intervene. intervene. And as his child and security, I felt as his child, I saw God work through doctors who did not know him, through nurses who did not know him, through consultants and through specialists who did not know him, who stepped in and made the right call. And we see the result of that with my daughter even now, as we thank God for the miracle that he has worked within her life, how her life, her himself, herself, is a miracle. Now, here's the reality, though. In the midst of it, it was hard to see the end. In the midst of it, it was hard to see what God was doing. But I am assured, I am assured from the scriptures that he is working and that all things will work out for his glory. That all things, regardless of what it was, that for his glory, he will be exalted and that he will be uplifted. As a child of God, I know how things are ultimately going to end up because I know who the winner is. I know in the greatest scheme of things, ultimately, he 
is in complete control and he is ultimately victorious. I know how things will work out. And we look at the promise of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this verse must be viewed from the perspective of eternity and from the mind and view of God, who sees more than what we can see and who knows more than what we could ever know. I still believe that the greatest good that is referred to in Romans 8.28 that we receive is not that we get what we want or everything works out hunky-dory for us, but there is a a growing and a deepening and a depending on and in the person of Jesus Christ and our devotion and our relationship with him. That's the greatest of good. The greatest of goods that leads to all eternity. That ultimately is to... Now, it's hard, and I have to admit, it is hard. But in hindsight, where our vision is 100%, we can see what God is doing in each of those steps, which means when we're in the midst of it, we must have our eyes upon Him. Because, as I said, he, he, He's the victor. We are on His side. We are on the winning side and the calm confidence that we can take, I guess, it stems from verse 18. So when we look at how all things work together for good in verses 20 and verse 28, in verse 18 we read this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For I reckon, or I consider the sufferings of this present time, so the hardship that you're facing, the obstacle that's in front of you, the difficulty that is slowing you down, when viewed from God's perspective, is something that is there for your shaping, for your refining, and mine, and for your purifying. It is the chipping away at the ungodliness and the parts of our old nature that we, that we cling to, and that we hold on to, and, and God, in His grace, under the refining fire of his hand, having his nature shine forth, even in the midst of such difficulty. Even the discipline that we encounter in our Christian lives because of choices that we make that are apart from God, the discipline that we encounter, he does so for us is because of his love for us. How many times, I know my family back in New Zealand would know this as well. Actually, I think most, 99.9% of Polynesian families would know this. The discipline that you get as a child, and I remember this quite distinctly. When I'm about to get the belt, and granted, I deserved it. 99 things, times I got smacked, I deserved. But I always remember that line, I'm only doing this because I love you. I'm only doing this because I love you. And I, I appreciate that so much more now that I'm a parent and that I'm an old man and I can see that now with my kids and seeing the, the reward of such discipline. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5b to 7a, we read this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. And so when we have the right perspective, like verse 18 says of Romans chapter 8, 
sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared for the glories that are to be revealed within us. And so what do we say then to that? What do we say then to those hardships for knowing that, that, that God, the assurance of him at work, even despite those really difficult times? Well, it is the appreciation expressed in who I cling to in the most difficult of times. It is the appreciation expressed in who I cling to in the most difficult of times. As we shared a couple of weeks ago, like where else is there to go? Who else is there to go to? And so while we look at the, at the, the liberation that we have received and Christ expressed in how we live, if we have a look at the, the security that we have in Christ expressed and expressed in, in, in who and what we hold and what we stand for, should I say. And now we have this assurance in Christ expressed in who I cling to. And the fourth one is just, what shall we say to the comfort we receive as the Spirit moves in us? What shall we say? Have you ever been, have you ever been at a loss for words? Have you ever felt out of your depth? Have you ever felt there are areas that you just know so little about that, that you got to, to trust somebody else's expertise? Like, for example, I know very little about tech. I know very little. A seven-year-old today would know far more and know to do more in, in, with technology side of things than I could ever hope to actually do. Thus, when it came to this whole online streaming thing that we're looking to implement, even when it came to doing the online sermons with the pre-recordings and all that sort of stuff, the likes of, of Jimmy, of, of Jono, of, of uh, Danny Lim, of, of Kenyuana, of all you guys who have stepped up, and I've just... I've just watched them talk all their tech talk and, and, and get everything organized. They're talking monitors, they're talking hard drives, they're talking cameras, they're talking about microphones, lighting, all that sort of stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. That brings a huge amount of comfort to me because I have no clue. I have no clue on what is being done. And, and I, I really like it. The blessing of having someone in the know brings an ease, ease to the mind and brings comfort to the soul of one's being. Now I read in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 to 27 about this amazing truth that should and must be a source of comfort for us all. Why? Because our God is in the know. He knows what we need before we even ask him, Matthew 6, 7 and 8. And even in the limitations of our own language, that where we can't verbally express the cries of our heart, the Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf to make it understandable to the ear of God. Have you ever done that? Just, just, you were just at a loss for words, and all you could do was just, oh, you could, all you could do is just, just express, express your heart, your heart's desire and how the Spirit intercedes. You read in Romans 8, 24, 27, this is what you read. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What a blessing to have the ear of God inclined toward us. What a comfort to know that he sees and understands what we need. What an encouragement to know that our God hears us. What shall we say then to that? What shall we say then to the fact that I can enter boldly into the throne of grace and ask for help in time of need? Hebrews 4.16. What then do we say to the fact that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro across the earth, looking to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him? 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. What shall we say then to the fact that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us? 1 John 5.14. You know what that does? That stirs within each of us a hope expressed in what I prioritize and who I love. For he has prioritized me and loves me manifest in the person of Christ. See, what can we say then to those things? I mean, these are four of, of numerous truths found within Romans chapter 8, verses 1, all the way down to verse 30. What shall we say then to these things, to the liberty that we have received in Christ that has enabled us as overcomers, to the security we possess because we have been born again of his spirit and sealed as a member of his family to all eternity? What do we say then to the assurance that pales, sorry, that to the assurance that we've been granted that states that the temporal nature of the here and now pales in comparison to the glory that would be manifest in us through Christ? What, what shall we say then to the comfort we rest in because our God is present, our God is abiding, our God is interceding, our God is involved? An understanding Father who knows what I need, when I need, and how I need, even before I do. What do we say then? What shall we say then? What can we say then? But thank you. Thank you. Thank you in, in worship. Thank you indeed. Thank you in devotion. Thank you in what and in who I prioritize. We say thankful expressed in, in, in how I live. We say thank you expressed in, in what I stand for. We say thank you expressed in who I hold to, who I cling to. And we see thank you expressed in what and who I prioritize in life. That's, that's what we say. That's what we say then to these things. Because in a world where everything is transactional, Everything is transactional. I do this for you, therefore you do this for me. I have performed my task, therefore I am deserving of the appropriate compensation for my effort. But our relationship with Jesus is not transactional. It's covenantal. It's a covenant that he made with us. Not around the other way, not, not around the other way. Because it is completely one-sided. 
Because everything that is offered is from him to us, not verse. We had nothing to offer him. As we've shared time and time and time again, within the scriptures we read that within us, within our flesh, there is no good thing. We read within the scriptures how our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. We read within the scriptures how there is none righteous, no, not one. We read in the scriptures how we, have, each of, we like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to his own way. And yet I read in the scriptures that even though this is our attitude toward him, he reached down to us. He took the step toward us. He pursued us. And that's why, what shall we say then to these things, but thank you. See, the Lord is the one who set everything up. The Lord is the one who liberates. The Lord is the one who secures. The Lord is the one who assures. And the Lord is the one who comforts. All because of his love, his compassion, his mercy, and his goodness. That is what is because... Because of his goodness, because of his love, because of his compassion, he has provided a means where I, as sinful man, can be called a child of the Most High. So what then can we say in response to such things but that of thank you? Thank you expressed in, in what we do, in what we stand for, in who we cling to, and who and what we prioritized. What shall we say? And when we have that as our answer, it is coupled with the second rhetorical, which I think is, it just blows my mind how big this rhetorical question is, because he says in the second part of verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Dwell on that for a second. If God is for us, who can be against us? What an, amazing, what an amazing reality that we are confronted with there to dwell on. God is for us. We are on his side. We are a part of his family. We partake and are part of the Lord's army. We are on his side. It's like, okay, at some of the camps, this is a, this is a terrible explanation this is a terrible illustration. It's completely faulty, Ben, and you'll understand why. But when we play basketball at camps, I'm not a good player. But I know the guys who are good. And, and I know I shouldn't say this, but Jono, he's a good player. He's a good player. And so when I have Jono on my side, there is a certain amount of confidence knowing, hey, we'll probably win this because Jono is on my side. Now, I know you're probably you know, laughing at that, or you know, Andrew Finn, you're probably a thing as well. But I mean, hey, that, that's just... That's why it's such a poor illustration. But there's a confidence knowing that you've got a good player on your side. It's like if we we're playing, say, a game of, let's say the church were playing a game of rugby or something, and I'm on one person's side, and, and, and no disrespect, but, you know, I, 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 I just sort of knock people over, which is, isn't good. I play, play basketball like that too. Uh, but you understand what I mean? There's a certain amount of confidence you get when you've got someone who is skilled in a particular way. When they're on your side, it's like at the... Uh, at the men's progressive dinner, and we had the groups, and we had a multi-choice. We had the uh, biblical trivia, and somebody had Pastor John on their team. And everybody was like, yeah, yeah we've got this, because Pastor John was there. He's a man who's very knowledgeable in the Word. It's that sort of confidence. And so here, we've got this. The greatest of all illustrations is that if God is for us, who can be against us? If he who laid the foundations of the earth and marked out its dimensions in Job 38 verses 4 and 5, he who set the boundaries of the seas 
and set the dawn in its place. Job 38, verses 8 to 12. He who can bring the starry host out one by one and know each one of them by name. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Uh, he who, who gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Isaiah 40, verse 29. If he is for us, then no one or no thing can possibly stand to overcome us in Christ. That is where we are. That is who we are in. It is why Paul spent the whole time speaking to these amazing truths when he was speaking to these things. And he laid out for us the liberty, the security, the assurance, the, the comfort that one receives in Christ because we need to be continually reminded that he who has done so much for us to make us his own will not easily let us go. He will not easily let us go, evident in God being for us with the remainder of this chapter. When you look from verses 34 to 39, you could conclude 32 as well, but I'm going to read from verse 34 to 39. You read how much he is for us as his children. Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does such truth do within your heart? How do such facts stir you as God's child. As familiar as these words are, as as common as we hear it repeated over and over and over again, spend time looking at each of these individual truths in order to know how much God is for us and not against us. That he wants to support us not drag us down, that he wants us to succeed spiritually. He wants to succeed, us to, to be developed in, in our growth with him, not apart from him, that our mentality moves from this whole idea of a transactional thing. Well, God, I've done this for you, therefore you do this for me, as opposed to covenantal saying, Lord, thank you for allowing me to be a part of your people and a part of your plan and a part of your purposes, that it moves from that transactional mindset to one of relational dependence upon Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would know and understand and live out the reality of these truths, that because of Jesus, I am free, that because of Jesus, I am secure, because of Jesus, I am assured that because of Jesus, I am comforted, and that because of Jesus, God is for us. God is for you. No thing or no one can be against us 
because God is for us. You know this, you know this song, no guilt in life, no this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man shall ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I will stand. Because honestly, because honestly, if God is for us, then who can be against us? I pray that you will take these truths and be blessed, brothers and sisters. Spend time going through Romans 8 and allowing God to, to saturate your souls with the truths found within him, within the, the pages of scripture and within him, and where we as his children would be captivated by the love revealed in his very person. Uh, join me in a word of prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the beauty that is found within these pages and within the words of Romans chapter 8. We thank you for these rhetorical questions that what shall we say then in response to these things, in response to the, the liberation we have received in Christ, to the security that has been granted to us, to the assurance of knowing that you are with us and of the comfort that is granted to us. What shall we say then to these things but, but respond accordingly in living lives of, of appreciation, of thankfulness, of, of hope? And it's all demonstrated in what we say and how we live and in who we live for. We thank you for the rhetorical question that if God is for us, who can be against us? Thank you that we are on your side and that you are for us as your people. Thank you for your spirit who dwells within us. Thank you for the word where we can have the very mind of Christ. Thank you for your people that can support and uplift and encourage each other as we fight the good fight of faith together as your people. And so we ask for you to dismiss us now. And Lord, we commit ourselves to you that you as our creator, you as our God, you as our master will continue to shape us and purify us and refine us that we might be vessels honoring and God glorifying and kingdom exalting uh, as we shine as light in this world. We ask you to dismiss us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.